Yeah. This is the relevant podcast. It's Friday, February 12th, 2021, and it's the Relevant Podcast here in Orlando. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. If you heard last week's episodes, the last two episodes, we missed Jamie and Derek. So I'm happy to say, finally, they're back from Austin, Texas, author, podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys, I missed y'all. I miss you too. And from Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. Black is back, baby. <laughs> what up? <laughs> I will I will be honest with you. Trent Dabbs and Andy Minio did not bring what Derek Miner brings to the show. Or Jamie Ivey. I listened to the show and I felt like that moment where you're watching all your friends have a party and you were invited and then you got disinvited. And so I was listening and I was like, I'm supposed to be at that party, but I my invite got lost or something. I just felt very left out, you guys. But it was Jamie, a great show. Have you had experience getting disinvited <laughs> from parties? I don't think I've ever Ooh. been invited to something and then disinvited. I don't think I have either. But just tell. imagine what it might feel like when you're watching. Remember in high school, you could like see the party, but you didn't really get to go in. I don't know. Maybe that was just me, you guys. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I got to be honest. You're not related. <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't want to sound. Okay, I'm imagining what it might feel like. You guys. Jamie's, Jamie's life was like. Well, she was with the. She's like that uh, Christmas Carol, like with the ghost, where they're like looking in the past and, the, and through yeah. the window at the party, I, and life is happy, leaving her out. I would. That's I would her. be the person in the party having a blast, and I, and I glance out the window. And say, hey, is someone hiding in the bushes there? Is that that person we disinvited? Hurry, get the water balloons. Get them. Get them. Go. They can't even look at us. We're having so much fun. Oh, uh, we, we did miss you guys, though. We're glad you're back. We did. Both we you. really, really did. You, you know, you guys had a, a little time. Do you, now when when you guys step away, I, I can, I, I honestly can say this, and this isn't a humble brag. This is just the uh, the reality. You know, I went for a long stretch on this pod where I, it was rare if I, if I ever missed a week. I would even it was kind of fun because you know even on you know I would do this annual trip to the Jersey Shore with my in-laws and I would always do a show from the Jersey Shore it was a little break from the vacay mm-hmm. it was fun from a different setting I always had trust me the you you can spend an hour at the Jersey Shore and somehow get about a, a, a seven days of material just with one hour so if you're <laughs> just spending a week there you just bring a notebook and you can just you know you could do a, an entire season of the show but when you guys step away for a week do you come back do you feel uh, do you feel like you, you're rip rare and ready to go, or do you feel like you're kind of a, a you know a, a step out of rhythm? And you got to warm back up. It felt out of rhythm because this is like a every Wednesday it's on my calendar yeah. that we record, and so then all of a sudden when I didn't have it, I'm like, well, what what should I do? I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. <laughs> I just watched CNN and got brainwashed by the liberal left. <laughs> oh no, that's all I did. I just did that. So. <laughs> Hey, did you? Hey, Derek. I know you day trade. I know you're you're big on investments and stuff. Did you did you dabble with the GameStop frenzy? No, no, you no, 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 no. That's how you go. You didn't bro. want to throw like a couple, no. you know, twenty bucks just not, in there, see what happens. That's gambling, dog. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I was like, nah, look, like GameStop was one of them things where if you weren't in like a week or two before it ripped. You just right. don't get in unless you're really, right. really good. Like now I know I know a couple people that that did really well, but I'm just not that good. I'm well, like, after 
after I found out, Derek, that you do this on the side as fun, I was talking to my husband. I was like, I think I like we should do this. And he says, you can't just do it like if you don't know what you're doing. So, yeah, you yeah. Lose a lot. 95 percent of, of day traders lose money. So, yeah, yeah. don't dabble. Yeah, <laughs> like, we know someone that makes millions. And so I thought maybe I could get in, but I does, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that the, the house always has a way of winning, you know, yeah. like, it, it, you know, the 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 key with a lot of that. Well, I'm not a day trader. I, I but I do have, you know, I, I think for me personally, like I kind of look at it like you can either try to beat the house or you can play with the house. And like yeah. when you play with the house, it's like, you know, hedge funds, um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you know, kind of broad investments. But if you feel Diversified, like, yeah, yeah, if you feel like you have you know, 401, even just like kind of 401ks and, um, you mutual know, things funds. like, yeah, mu- mutual funds are great because you, you spread, yeah, you spread risk and, um, y- y- you know, and you can, there's a lot of different ways to, to, to make a return in addition to just kind of, uh, you know, investing in specific companies, you know, you can invest in currencies, things like that. But it's like the day traders, the successful ones, I always think those are the people that are the card sharks that are trying to take down the house at blackjack, right? They're really good and they might have an edge, but otherwise you might want to play with the house because otherwise they're going to take your money. They're very good at, yeah. at like getting people who are like, dude, I think I can beat the system. I think I can do it. <laughs> and then you're like, okay, all I have to do is make the money back I lost. Then I'll be good. Like right, that, right. that starts the death spiral of like, okay, I'm only down like 12 bucks i'll make that back up and then i'll be out and then you just get in that bad spiral it's 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 it can be a dangerous game all the day traders i know that are successful have mastered the ability to not be emotional over their money and that's hard because it's your money yeah so you work hard for it so imagine working all you've worked and then you put money into something and it doesn't go back up for something in our mind tells us if we just keep holding on, it's going to keep going. It's going to go back to what we want. And that's just not the truth. So all the day traders I know are able to say, oh, lost a hundred bucks, whatever. And then they cut it and then they move on and they do it 10 more times. So it's just this like uh, it's more quantity. Uh, mm-hmm. It's more of a quantity based thing. The numbers kind of work out in their favor. But, you know, I, I found like for me. Where most of my money has come from is buying long-term equities and companies that I believe in and then swing trading. So I'll hold something for two or three days. And if it's not materializing after a couple of days, then I'm out. Um, And shameless plug, this was all brought by my understanding of just, since we're in Black History Month, uh, there was a stat I found that says after the Civil War, uh, Black people owned half of 1% of the wealth in the country. Fast forward till today, we're 13% of the population and we only own 1.5% of the wealth. And then when you look at equities like uh, what people are invested in, 60% of white people are invested into equities, into stocks. I think they said like 28% of black people are. So there is a big wealth gap and Mm -hmm. a lot of it is systemic, right? A lot of it is, you know, up until lately, We've been discriminated against to be able to own different things. So as I looked, I'm like, well, now a lot of that stuff has passed. We still got a lot more work to do with the system, but I wanted to encourage black people to start getting involved in finance. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's what kind of sent me on this journey. 
Because I'm like, if I can literally take my platform and help people learn, you know, shift that number from 1.5 to 1.6, I think Mm -hmm. I've been successful. Like, that's the goal is just to get people uh, aware of the issue, which is, again, huge systemic issue. But then at the same time, as we're fighting the system, I think we've done a great job of fighting the system. But then also at the same time, we need to also understand how the financial world and how this America works. So it's kind of really diving into that. I love uh, it. We're having a conversation every Friday on the We Own Now IG live. So uh, this will come out on Friday. We're having a conversation with Lecrae on the We Own Now uh, platform. And you'll be able to tap in every Friday. And it's not somebody was like, oh, you just want to give this information to black people. I'm like, well, there's not like a filter on Instagram where I can say like <laughs> only black people can join the convo. Anyone can join the convo. You know, please Anyone, you can join it, but yeah, it's pretty cool. So I was on it last week. I love that. (laughs) Darian, it's so cool. And it's, that is a field of like, like practical solutions to look for new means of economic justice. It's something I've kind of just found myself interested in. I got really into reading like Stephen Dubner, who's an economist. Uh, He's best known. He does like the Freakonomics series, but really Mm. brilliant guy. But um, you know, I was reading some of the, you, you know, I got a, you know, kind of a better understanding of things like UBI, but even some of these economists who are trying to figure out practical solutions to help communities that are, you know, marginalized or feel like they're in cycles of poverty, um, see the incentivization of financial tools that a lot of people have at their disposal. So like, you know, they, these economists, this is really interesting for like kind of a, a weird sort of justice story because we don't really think of sort of like banking and economics as justice, but they had these economists go into uh, uh, communities that were kind of stuck in cycles of poverty. And it was, it was several different across the, uh, the nation. And, it, and you know, uh, they were, a lot of them were uh, racially diverse and, um, you know, values had different values. But the one common thing was that a lot of these communities were stuck in essentially like cycles of poverty and generation after generation lived in the same place and faced the same challenges as their parents did. And they found like, okay, they, they did two things. The first they found is what is a, what are the common denominator of the obstacle? And they found that one of the common obstacle denominators was like, a lot of people within those communities were unbanked. They didn't yeah. have a lot of them were reliant on like payday loans, which basically is a predatory practice where you can lose. A it's a loan chart. It's legal yeah. loan yeah. chart. And and, <laughs> and and then uh and so 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 they knew that was the obstacle. It's like how can we get people banked, right? How can we create incentives? to to make them kind of trust this institution and start to build long-term wealth. But then they went into these communities and they asked him, you know, what are, if you were to say, you know, what are, how would you most likely to become a millionaire one day? The most common response they got back from a lot of these communities, and this is a sad indictment on a lot of systemic issues. The most common answer they thought it was that people said, I, the, the only way I'm ever going to become a millionaire is if I win the lottery. And yeah. that was an answer they got over and over again. Yeah. So these economists took those two things and they came up with a concept called the no lose lottery. And what they what they did is they encouraged people to start investing their pay, putting their paychecks in a bank account. And those bank accounts obviously incur interest. Now, if you tell someone who is depositing 300 bucks in their bank account that in a month it'll be $303, that's probably not enough incentive 
uh, uh, to kind of go through that process. But what they did is they they got this big pool of people who they got to invest in the bank, uh, and they took all of the interest that they collectively earned and held a monthly lottery. And one person who was putting their money into that bank would get all of the uh, all of the combined interest. And it kind of gamified banking. That's crazy. And it taught these new communities. It equipped them with the tools. It kind of met them where they're at. And it really started this, uh, you know, um, this uh, this way of helping unbanked communities, uh, you know, kind of get banked, but do it with the cool incentives. And it's a really cool, creative economic justice mechanism that I think it's cool that more and more people are thinking about. So it. When, I was going to say, when we think about justice, oftentimes we only think about the most extreme issues, right? So we think about the Ku Klux Klan guy in the hood, the, the skinhead, et cetera, et cetera. We, it, we think about that guy somehow preventing a black person from going to the bank um, we, or that guy preventing someone from getting something. That is an aspect of justice, right? Or we think about slavery, how black people pretty much built the country but didn't own any of it that they built. And at this point, uh, the reason why one in seven white people are millionaires is because of equity. Like that's a statistical fact. One in seven white people are millionaires. One in 50 black people are millionaires. That's how that, that's how statistically how it works. And a lot of that is from stuff being equities and different things passed down. Right. But we also don't think about justice in the sense of education. Right. Just the, the one of the biggest ways to prevent someone from thriving. This is period. It's just either don't it's just hide the gems from them. It's not necessarily say. And that's how the when you hide the gems from people, when you hide the truth from people about who they are or how to actually progress, when you do that. That is how you keep a person locked down. So a reason someone says, yeah, payday loans are a great idea is because that's literally the only access to money that they have. Right. Or they say banking. I'm never putting my money in a bank. I'm going to hide it under a mattress. Well, it's because you don't understand how banking works. So that's the that's the reason why I wanted to build what I've been building is there's a lot of things that. People just in general, this is not even a black people thing. I mean, I know some some poor Southern white guys that could benefit from the we own now platform that I've been building. So, but the, the beauty of what we're doing is people don't always understand marches. They don't understand black lives matter. They don't understand the nuances of sociology, but everyone understands that when a person is broke and they need money and they need help and they need education, everyone can dive in on that. And I wanted to meet everybody where they were at. So, you know, for what it's worth, shameless plug. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. All right. Well, we have a great show in store for you today. I don't, it'll be interesting to see uh, what version of our conversation that you just heard uh, Clark let you hear because we talked for about 45 minutes. <laughs> Yo, you probably heard a chunk of that. You probably heard a chunk of that, not all of that. Um, well, uh, we have, later we're joined by film star Daniel Kaluuya, uh, star of Get Out, Black Panther, and the new film, which releases today, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, that film tells the true story of Fred Hampton, the electrifying civil rights activist and Black Panther Party leader. You'll actually get to hear a conversation between Daniel and Fred Hampton Jr., the son of the man that he plays in the movie, as they talk about Hampton's legacy and the ongoing push for Black equality in the U.S. Don't miss it. It's amazing. I, I will be honest with you, uh, in our internal editorial planning and stuff, I kept seeing uh, that on on the show today, we were going to have the star of the Black Panther movie. 
And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I'm like, it made no sense to me. Different Black Panther. Oh, just as a Black Panther yeah. party. Right. <laughs> okay. Not the Black Panther. So, not Black Panther. Well, Black Daniel Panther Kaluuya was in Black Panther, though. Yeah, yeah I know. Even more confusing. I know. He was, I, he I was know. a star. He had a pretty big role. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but, hey, it, Daniel Kaluuya, man, is is a fantastic because, like in like Black Panther, you're like, yo, man, this guy, you know, he's, you know, T'Challa at the time. Well, I don't want to spoil it, but he can play so many characters. He's also, I don't know, did you guys see the movie Widows, the Steve McQueen uh, heist movie? Uh, no. Had, Oh well, Steve McQueen, phenomenal director. Daniel yeah. Kaluuya is like a villain in that movie. He can go from villain to hero in ways that you're like, dude, this guy's the best freaking actor ever because just his look, you're like, he can communicate so much in just yeah. a look. He's unbelievable. Like He's he smooth. can, he can show you like pure coolness, pure hero, or pure villain in just a look of his eye, and you're like, holy crap, this guy's freaking incredible. Well, coming up on our audio podcast, you won't get to experience that, <laughs> you but will, you will get to hear you'll, you'll about hear. <laughs> I'm actually going uh, to see the movie today when, when this comes out, so I've already got my tickets. Let's get it. Of course Because you, you know do. I go to the movies in the pandemic. I, like, Let's none of y'all get do. it. <laughs> uh, we also have Re- Relevant Recommends, our new segment, What's Jesse Thinking? And stay tuned right now. Up next, it's Relevant News. Man, I feel so Listening to Radiant Children, the song is Pretend. Well, today's show is brought to you by Upper Room. There's some daily comforts that just make you grateful and feel more grounded in life, like petting the dog, hitting that snooze button, and of course, that first cup of coffee. The things that you count on every day to help you get where you want to go. Things like the Upper Room Daily Devotional Guide. You can count on the Upper Room for daily inspiration, daily community, and daily prayer. It's the only daily devotional magazine written by readers, ordinary people, people who have encountered God in daily situations. The Upper Room is here for you every day through your email, a custom app, or printed magazine. You can enjoy a free 30-day trial of their email or app service by visiting upperroom.org slash welcome. That's upperroom, U-P-P-E-R-R-O-O-M dot org slash welcome to get your first 30 days for free. Okay, it's time for Relevant News. Please welcome Relevant Senior Editor Tyler Huckabee, who is the person who wrote in our rundown that we are going to have the star of Black Panther on today's show, and it confused me <laughs> for several weeks. So, hey, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. We I realized at some point, I forget which editorial meeting it was, that we were talking past each other when we were using the Black Pan- the word Black Panther. I was Panther. like, is there a new one coming out? I was like, is there a new Black Panther movie coming out? And you're like, what are you talking about? Yes, Jesus is the Black it's Messiah. A little, it's Jesus. a little confusing, but we got there. And, and Judas and the Black Messiah, really, really good movie movie I, I if you get the opportunity to see it then i would very much recommend it I, I thought it was awesome and the conversation is really good too all right well what's going on this week okay so this is an interesting uh this is a something that i've been learning about the story that i've been following and i wanted to get you all's thoughts on this and it started with uh with somebody who uh, has been in the news lately uh home alone to star donald trump he is uh, <laughs> he's, he's i back. thought you were gonna say macaulay Culkin. Yeah. <laughs> Relax. Former SAG member. Former SAG member. Star of The Apprentice. You may know him from his many roles in Hollywood uh, and, and a brief stint in the White House. 
but he is oh uh, he's obviously as we're talking Wait, about who, this who am i the only one lost who are we talking about here <laughs> no jesse it's judas and the black messiah not the black panther look, movie. I, listen, it's, yeah. I don't pay a whole lot of attention Whoa. to politics who are we talking about here tyler do we this is donald this is donald j trump donald j trump okay. real estate uh art real of the deal guy mogul. art of the deal guy is with that yeah. who? okay i gotcha i oh, gotcha <laughs> you may know him from trump vodka trump steaks oh, yeah, yeah, trump ties remember i i, yeah, I, I subscribe yeah. for a while to yeah turned out to be a very expensive steak program and uh, <laughs> little mealy little mealy little gamey little mealy little new gamey. jersey isn't really known for their steaks yeah. little gamey little gamey so as we're talking today he's actually in the midst of his uh, his second impeachment trial and uh, obviously by the time this airs you all will know more about this than we do right now but uh but I was, something that caught my eye was in a lengthy interview with newsweek uh his former senior advisor jason miller said that trump has been feeling much happier that's a quote much happier since he got kicked off social media miller said the president said he feels happier now that he's been than he's been in some time he said that not being on social media and not being subject to the hateful echo chamber that social media too frequently becomes has actually been good everyone needs a break from social media every once in a while you know hey i'm going to tease out something for what's jesse thinking later about social media and happiness if you i have i have a little an addendum that will be coming up later in the okay. show. That that that's okay. going to be very applicable for the listeners for this. Okay. Okay. So, all right. So this is Jesse. And I, Jesse and I did not plan this. This yeah. is just God yeah. working yeah. In, in our in our content <laughs> planning. <laughs> um. So I was actually as I was looking up on, I was kind of I was starting to wonder like, well, on the one hand, you know, this is an aid, and we've all learned that when people are talking secondhand about how Trump's feeling, to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. But I was also thinking, well. It seems like getting off social media, uh, pop, or the popular understanding of that is that's probably pretty good of like Jamie, like you pointed out, like a, a good thing for most of us. So I did a little bit of digging into the research and I was actually a little bit surprised at, uh, at some of the research says about the connections between our overall mood and our time spent on social media. Uh, my assumption, which I think is most people's assumption, was that the less time you spend on social media, the better, the happier you're going to be. Looking into the research, it's not necessarily the case. Uh, mm. It's actually a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, what we, what Professor Derek Wirtz of uh, UBC found was that social media users who tend to use Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to mindlessly scroll, uh, just doing the doom scrolling thing that a lot of us do like late at night or while we're in bed, they do report feeling more negative when they're done. Uh, mostly because this scrolling tends to lead to unfavorable comparisons to others who appear to be living happier, healthier, more aesthetically fulfilling lives. But Wirtz also found that people who use social media as a way to communicate with others, to actually engage in friendly conversations and interact online, report feeling happier after they use social media. So it's not social media itself, sort of a, uh, it, it's objective, right? It's just a tool. It doesn't, it's not mm-hmm. good or bad for your mental health. But what you do when you're on social media, according to this research, is has an h- enormous amount of effect on your overall mood and how you feel when you're done using it. We don't know, we don't know what Trump did while he was on social media for the most part. <laughs> well, so I'm not going to speculate conversations. on that. I, I, I'm shocked he was even on social media. When did that happen? When did <laughs> Did I? Th- he's pretty. The, the he's pretty guy. old. You would think that he wouldn't be like enamored with it, but he loves it. I, I wonder if, like, you're talking about, like, if you're creating 
it's a positive thing. If you're consuming, it, it has a negative effect on you. But I wonder if it, uh, it matters what you're consuming. Like if you're only following mm-hmm. like humor accounts or, or a, a hobby you're interested in, like basketball or something, then there's, you know, NBA Twitter. Like I, when I'm reading NBA Twitter, I don't feel negative. I'm I like, I like it. But yeah, when sure, I'm sure. reading like news Twitter, Ugh. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like yeah. it's like doom scrolling almost. You know, so it's like I wonder if it, the type of content you're consuming factors in. And I do wonder too. This study w- uh, took Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter all into account, but it didn't really break it down by site what mm. the effect was. And I know that there's a lot of talk about how Instagram leads to more comparisons because you see these people. Whereas Twitter, I'm not. I don't usually feel jealous of the people I'm reading on Twitter. Like, oh, you're you're a loser. Like, I am. like we're all <laughs> we're all stuck in here together. We're, we're the the inmates are all in the same madhouse on Twitter. <laughs> I feel uh, like social media is like you could you could fill in the blank with anything like, OK, if you use it for the right reasons, you're going to feel happy. If you use it for yeah. the ra- wrong reasons, you're going to feel sad in comparison and jealousy yeah. and envy. And so fill in the blank of what it is and got, you know, use the wrong way. It's going to make you feel bad. I think it's a little different for different people. Like my experience is. You know, some stuff is hard to avoid for me because. um there's a level of popularity that's there. So I feel like I'm on pins and needles a lot. Like, so half the time, like I'm the most happy when I don't post. Cause even if I post like, even if I post like picture of me and my family, like it could be something negative on that. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that that's kind of, that's kind of the, like I saw the Cray posted a picture of him holding his daughter mm-hmm. and, and saying the, I think the caption was like, um, Hey, um, you know, love your daughters, walk, walk wise. You never know, you know, if they're watching and, and they're going to pick somebody like you. Some guy starts talking about worn off and abortion and, and weird stuff. And you just like, it's a picture with his daughter. You know what I mean? So I think it's just different experiences for different people. Like I, like for some reason, like I'm like, man, I just pray that I'm able to hold on to Jesus as much as racists hold on to my posts. Like I just like, God, please give me the strength to hold on to you with that level of uh, ferocity. Like, I just want to be able to do that. Like, I feel like, have you ever seen a gorilla glue girl, the girl that like gorilla glued yeah. her hair oh, yeah, down? Of course. Yeah. Like, yeah, I yeah, honestly yeah. feel like my Twitter and Facebook at times, I'm the gorilla glue girl, except it's not gorilla glue. It's like racist uh, Christians like <laughs> that's what the gorilla glue is like so I don't know I think it's just different for certain people I don't know I, I think there there's some enterprising developer out there that can hear this and put this to work I think I think social media there needs to be like a happiness filter right and how no. it would work is you would put you would you would punch all these phrases in that you know if these phrases are included in a comment or a tweet or, or reply to something that's probably going to bring your mood down. Like, for example, if it would have like a feature in there that if it saw comma space idiot, it'd be like, zip this out because I don't want to see it. So that no comma can be like, well, yeah, that's what I thought too, idiot. It's like, I just don't want to see it. That's probably going to be toxic. Like, I need you it. Put, you could, the, I can think of a thousand terms and a thousand phrases that put it in a filter. And if that was just filtered out of the feed, it'd probably make a much, you know, more enjoyable experience probably better for mental health too some developer out there do the happiness filter it's a million dollar idea sitting right there for you (laughs) you can do that on twitter you can mute words like you can mute trump and no post with the word trump would appear in your feed 
We need oh, something wow. that blankets. We need something that blankets all the socials and Instagram. Is, yeah, and that's already all and all that. the words are already in there. That's like, hey, if you don't like heated political talk, you click this filter. If you don't want, uh, you know, people ragging on you about deconstructionism you. or whatever, mm. you know, it's like, which I don't have a problem with, but I've seen those conversations go sideways. Mm-hmm. Just filter it out, you know. Like, I, like I, I get like you don't want to create an echo chamber, but also at some point you got to look out for your own mental health. You Sometimes know I mean? we're glad for punishment too like sometimes we're like we know this is a mess i always think like there's some things i can say funny to like you guys but i'm not gonna put it out into the world because there's too many people that follow me and i can't be fun they don't know my humor and funny stuff i think sometimes we give people the opportunity to come at us because we're posting something that's funny but you know you're gonna get the crazy it's the crazy people your friends aren't coming at you it's the people that don't know you that think that they can Here's a perfect example. I came up with this banging new nacho method. Okay, and <laughs> oh, I oh, that was yeah. Gross. On the, look, here's what I did. I went in my kitchen. I dumped so it on the gross. counter. And I used my bare hand. I didn't I'm even use a tool. Again. I, no, but here's the thing. I don't need haters. I smeared it all around. I crumpled up my my it's my so meats gross. and jammed it in an ice cream thing. Thank God someone went and and posted it right before I did. Someone was on the same <laughs> wavelength. And I look at the hate that that poor woman got, and I thought that could have been me. That could have been me next time i'm just not going to share my inventions with the world no but jamie to your point like yeah i i just i just try to know my audience like there are certain things i would say on this podcast that i know if people took the time to listen to they're probably not really going to care if i say something totally stupid or or you know jokey but if i feel like i put it on twitter there would be randos that would come at me and I'd be that, that I don't know and have really no desire to, to, you know, or really, you know, any intention of knowing that's like, I don't know if I want to open myself up to people just being jerks, you know, I definitely get that. that. I I think for, and I think I I definitely agree with you, Jamie, in a sense of, okay, this won't be accepted by conservative Christians, but I guess my frustration is why does that have to be the bar from my platform? And why if mm. and why if I do post that that I have to be harassed for posting something like I think that's the like everybody talks about like when you see the scripture in Romans they talk about the uh, the weaker brother and they say if meat offends my brother I won't eat it I, I've heard that ten million times but nobody reads the part under it that says that the weaker brother shouldn't judge the stronger brother so like why why can't like I guess my my big thing is I. I'm like, yo, I do not want to be held hostage by stranger strangers who I don't necessarily hold their same values. I don't have the same. Like, where did it become a thing where I can't have a sense of humor? Like as a Christian leader, like I feel like, like I feel bad for certain leaders. It's like, I bet you that guy is really, really funny, but he has to post these dry, like, scripture verses because they're assumed that he's a Christian. So he has no personality at all. And I I think that's, if there's anything I hate about what I've been, I guess, you know, like knowing your audience, I hate that part about some of the audience members that I have, that I have uh, brought into that have chose to follow me. Like I love certain parts about it, but the thing I hate about it is, man, if I see a, a video that's funny, it's like, well, you're a Christian. That's not supposed to be funny to you. Why? Yeah. 
I just I, I wish people would just more operate under the mo of doing to others as you'd have them do unto you. Like yeah. if you posted a video, would you want somebody to come at you about the thing you posted? Then don't go after them about the thing they posted. Just let live and let live. You know what I mean? Here's exactly. what I always but, say to people. Here's what you need to remember: if you're thinking about typing a message to Derek or anybody else, you need to type it all out, and then when you're done, ask yourself: if I was having coffee with Derek Miner, would I say this to his face? And if the answer is no, you need to delete, 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 and move on about your day. That is what we need to remember. Would you say this is someone's face? Man, a lot of people wouldn't say stuff to my face because I'm six foot three and I weigh a lot. So you are a big man. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe what we, maybe what we need to do is build in Sabbath. You know, the Bible talks about Sabbath a lot and the, how essential that is to our mental and physical and spiritual health and well being. Maybe we should all. I've heard, I've being seeing more and more people doing like a social media Sabbath for like the weekends or something, you know, they'll be on social media during the week, but they turn it off on the weekends. Maybe it's worth trying stuff like that. Um, mm. Who knows? Teach zone. Figure it out. All right. Well, thanks, Tyler. There's a lot more where that came from. Uh, check out what we're doing every day over at relevantmagazine.com. Follow us on all the socials where we're covering the intersection of life, faith, culture, and justice. See you, Tyler. Bye, everybody. Stay tuned. Up next, Daniel Kalua and Fred Hampton Jr. Join us. Listening to Wallows with Remy Wolf and Selomonophonic. The song is okay. Well, it's the name of the song. It's better than okay. Well, today's episode is brought to you by podcast creation platform Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There are custom tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and every major platform. The cool thing is you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Releasing today, the film Judas and the Black Messiah stars Daniel Kaluuya as Electric Black Panther Party leader Fred Hampton and Lakeith Stanfield as the friend who betrayed him. The movie follows one of the strangest and most tragic true stories of the civil rights movement, chronicling the lengths the FBI went to to discredit and sabotage the Black Panther Party from within, including but not limited to turning Hampton's friend William O'Neill into a traitor against Hampton, who at just 21 was seen as the future of the movement. What you're about to hear is a unique feature segment for us. It's a conversation between Kaluuya and Fred Hampton Jr., the son of the man he plays in the movie. Together, they discuss Hampton's legacy, the journey to bring Hampton's radical vision of racial justice to the screen, and how Kaluuya was transformed by stepping into the shoes of the icon he portrayed on screen. Here is Daniel Kaluuya and Fred Hampton Jr. Get close to Hampton. The Black Panthers are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Neutralize him by any means necessary. 
America's on fire right now. Imagine what we could accomplish together. We can heal this whole city. You ain't tell me it was gonna be like this. These ain't no terrorists. We got a rat, man. Okay, the first part of this conversation, Daniel Kaluuya opened up about educating himself more about Chairman Fred Hampton's life and work. And Hampton Jr. explains a little about what he recommended uh, for Kaluuya's approach to his father's life, including seeing some of Hampton's old haunts and even meeting some of his old associates. Uh, And as you're listening to this, just remember Kaluuya is the one who has the British accent. He was born in London. Uh, Here's the conversation. When I um, really took in the scope um, of his ideas, his concepts, his beliefs, his love for the people. I felt, I felt just honored to kind of, um, step into spiritually step into this position. I mean, for this narrative and to be a part of continuing the legacy, you know what I'm saying? In, in, in my medium with, you have Chairman Fred Jr. Doing it in the, in the real world as well. You know what I'm saying? So it felt very, it felt like an honor, and I just wanted to to to, to honor that. We we haven't seen it on the big screen yet, but the process sitting down with Daniel at the house in which Chairman Fred Hampton grew up in mm. at, the t- at the table in which you know Chairman you know Chairman Fred I mean, before he became Chairman Fred they ate at our process our, our dialogue literally having our meetings on the uh, some you know take because the saying with our organization the Black Panther Party Club we say the streets are our office. I work hours of 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We met in, in, our, in our office, uh, this is the streets, some of the same streets that Chairman Fred organized on. That process, then even to be in their office, and, 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 and Daniel, Dominique's, and others, their offices on the set, and this in this um, the, the process of the mutual respect that you're saying, the struggles, you know, saying what's creatively speaking advantageous, is, you know, what's politically speaking, what can be told, what can that whole process. So it wasn't just a a reaction and end result just to see it, you know, see, see that it was phenomenal. A story like this and how the perspective that we worked to, to tell it through meeting the family and having them a part of the process and having them to be honest enrich what we are doing you know what I'm saying to to tell to to imbue the narrative with with truth um was was imperative to me it felt like everyone's just aligned yeah. with the with the with the same kind of outlook in terms of like the importance of having chairman fred jr having mama kua just saying things and, and redirecting us and coming onto set and educating us during lunchtime. It was amazing. And then, and yeah, so we, we, we went to the, we went to the home, went to the offices and then we had a seven, was it seven hour, eight hour a meeting? Yes. Um, and we kind of declared he, um, Chairman Fred Jr. spoke to us and, and asked us to declare our intentions of mm. why we the story, who we are. I remember Mama Kua took me and Dominique to the side and, and asked us why we make art or what we feel the meaning of art is. And we had to go through that. And then Chairman Fred Jr., he took us to to a place in Chicago that, you know, and I remember what he was saying. He was like, he said, if you're going to play the chairman, I want to see what you're, I'll see what you're made of. I think it was something along those lines. I don't want, I don't want to, 
misrepresent you, Chairman, but it was it was something along the lines that if you're playing the chairman, I want to see what you're made of. Next, Fred Hampton Jr. discussed why he felt like it was so important for Daniel and his co-stars, Dominic Fishback, who plays Hampton's girlfriend, Deborah Johnson, to see the places where his father walked, worked, and lived, and, and how they tried to convey Hampton's revolutionary spirit in this movie, Judas and the Black Messiah. There's character in character, you know, and um, I respect different fields, you know, saying whether you know, whether that of a you know, athlete, a, a freedom fighter, a thespian, you know, what have you. And in our genre, you know, since a freedom fight is revolutionary, and many times it's uh, the dynamics of it, the intricacies of it, you know, saying are negated, and for a number of reasons. Because deal is, we, uh, we cut from a cloth that there are many things that you know we can't talk about. That, that, you know, being a revolutionary, you know, there there are some ingredients in the recipe of revolutionary that you that that, that are given. You know, um, Chairman Fred's ability to to wear theory and practice to not just talk, you know. Uh, who is the, the, who? Who authored and organized the Rainbow Coalition in the city that was remains one of the top segregated cities in the country, Chicago, which is infamous, infamously referred to as Chirac now. And, I, and we don't we don't we don't brag about that, but that, that's that's the political reality. It's a war zone, and it's a microcosm what's happening in every colonized community. Kevin Fred would say, you know, a lot of us talking about the mountaintop. But we going back to the valley where the people at. And we went to the valley, and you know, so we went there, and the ground was literally still hot. The mm-hmm. community was still out there. It was still you know, saying, you, uh, the and contradictions. You know, what I'm saying contradictions were out there. You know, and we had our dialogue. You know, and, and again, Daniel, Dominique. You know, what I'm saying the conversation with our comrades. That you know, what I'm saying. It was the setting, everything, and like we say, politics is like real estate. Time and location, all this, you know, it's important. The setting was correct. You know, we, we had some real. It, it wasn't. It wasn't pressed. It wasn't. I gotta get out of here right now. And you know, and you see the comfortability to see where you know this is where we at. You know, and we're not gonna put you in harm's way. You know, you know, and and and, I'm, and it's not to say neither one of these forces. I, they, they're not no punks either, though. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, however. This just to be in the, you know saying that they respect amongst each other to say okay let's if we talking about do, engaging this here the legacy chairman free and this is this is some things that you can't find you can't read in books you know so this this is this is some this is some grit you got to smell and you know and feel and um, they came. I'd seen that the the site the memorial site of the of the shootings had been destroyed. I remember that. I remember they had been destroyed, and. Um, Chairman Fred Jr. was explaining to me about how the police come and kind of wreck those those kind of places. So that it 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 it, it, it was for me it was a microcosm of what's been done for centuries. You know, it's the um, disruption of necessary healing mm-hmm. um, that from the powers that be, and I saw that there. And I felt, I just felt like, yo, I, I didn't feel like I had anything to prove. I didn't, I just was like, yo, I'm here to connect on a, on a real level. I'm trying to understand your point of view, how, how you guys see the world. You know what I'm saying? I want to look through your eyes. I don't want to look at you. I want to look with you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. that's how, that's kind of I, I felt. I didn't, I just remember those kind of things. And I remember the energy was just, we were just talking. We were just chatting there. 
I didn't feel fear if, if I'm being brutally honest. Yes. I just understood that there's a bounce. Yes. <laughs> there's a bounce because it's beyond bouncy ground. You understand what yeah. I'm saying? That's life. So Judas and the Black Messiah is as much a love story as it is a story of a, of a revolution. And Daniel talked a little about how he and Dominic Fishbeck portrayed Hampton and Johnson's relationship and why it was so important to get it right. Um, Fishback played Deborah Johnson, who was not only Chairman Fred's uh, girlfriend and then fiance, but was also Fred Hampton Jr.'s mother. Unfortunately, Dominique couldn't... Um because she was on another shoot she couldn't be part of the rehearsals so I was speaking to her a lot during during the shoot so she was missing out on a lot of like really big conversations um, regarding of how we're going to go and how we're mapping it and I, we really cared about um, the arc between Chairman Fred and Deborah Johnson we really cared about we understood the importance of that and she's always said that she was she was just writing journaling as Deborah Johnson mm-hmm. uh, and writing poems as and then she, um, I think she opened up and showed it to, to Shaka and Shaka said, yo, let's, let's use that for the scene. In, in all characters, I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for where, where, where is, where are they evolving? How are they evolving? How are they becoming? And with Chairman Fred at the beginning in the narrative, he just knew so much and he had so much internally. And so, and you see it that when you first meet Deborah Johnson, she's gifting him something in terms of like broadening his perspective on his possible reach, you know? And so I think one of the amazing things about that dynamic in the film is that she is kind of educating him mm-hmm. on, a, on, a, on a blind spot in terms of how she sees him being out there and how it relates to her being with child. And Dominique put so much into this. Mm-hmm. And so it just was really from the heart. It was really from the heart. And I just, I felt really moved. Like knowing that it was her personal words, knowing as like it was a, a, a summation of all the thoughts and beliefs and feelings that she had throughout the shoot regarding this time. And it was, and it, is a, it was testament to like, this is more than just a role. two men talked a little about what they hoped Judas and the Black Messiah would lead to and why educating America about the real history of the Black Panther Party, uh, not just the one we were handed down, but the actual story, is so important and where we go from here. This is an organization that stood up on its own terms. And, and, and when we say that, that even, the, the, even the, the titles, it's not ego tripping. It's recognizing that of self-determination. You know, you know what I'm saying? This is an organization that, that called the question of assassinations, genocide, you know what I'm saying? Called it or not until revolution that made revolutionary leaps and bounds when many people were taking a, a stance with, you know what I'm saying, not going to the war, you know what I'm saying, uh, in, 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 regards to, in regards to U.S. aggression against Vietnam. You had seen what, I mean, Minister UEP knew the Black Panther Party had, had, uh, had declared that they were even sending a contingent of members of the Black Panther Party to assist the, the Vietnamese people. 
I've been, you know, you know, people constantly saying, Cham, are you ready for all these interviews back to back? I say, you know, it's it's a release, you know, so for, for people, it's receptive. You know, like even with the cast, the discussion, it was, it never you know, felt forced, like, okay, we gotta go through this, you know, this ain't, this ain't part of our contract. We, we, you know, so one, one day of filming happened to be the anniversary, I hate to use that term, but of uh, Tamir Rice, we ain't going down to Cleveland, Ohio. Cast members came out when I was, you know, I was, I was there speaking in, in, Ohio, in Cleveland. They came there willingly, you know, so it was, I remember the time we sat down, then you talk about the, the, the lunch. You know, saying just it wasn't a rush to lead a meeting, and so it's, um, it's it's an energy there. You know, saying so with this, this this is uh helps it helps open the door. This is not the end all panacea to our people who are going to be politically educated, but also doing film. We you know, we didn't anticipate this whole climate. It's a climate where people's political pores are open. You know, what I'm saying I mean, because even even with the breakfast program, I I said there's going to be there's going to be struggles. Some people go, and, and, and you're talking about a generation who may say. Why would they have a breakfast program? Why are they just in the order grub hub? You, you know what I'm saying? So, they, so this climate now of acknowledging it's, it's terrible, but it's fine. So the sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. I think for me, power wherever there's people is something that, um, yeah, I, I feel, I, I feel it, I feel it, but I feel that my generation, it's almost it's been interrupted in a sense. Do you know what I'm saying? There's something that's been interrupted. The togetherness has been interrupted in a sense. And I can see the difference between that time and now, wherever people, because it's like people come together on Facebook. Do you know what I'm saying? It's that there's a there's a there's a surveillance happening. Do you know what I'm saying? In terms of your 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 connectivity, you're not actually feeling someone. We're connecting to each other on Zoom. You know? We're not actually feeling like, do you know what I'm saying? And, and it, it brought me to the root of it though. It's just like how important it is to be a part of the community, to be there, to be present, to share ideas, to talk, to, to someone, someone said to me recently, it's, it's conversations, not classes. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, um, it's, uh, it's how you can really, cause it, certain ideas will impact and resonate more, but you've got to be together. Do you know what I'm saying? You've got to like, like it's an empathy and compassion and, and togetherness through that as opposed to just a mass of people. Because that's what we kind of help. As long as there's loads of people, that means there's about, no, it's about what are those, what are those, how are those people being activated? What are those, what are the thoughts within those people? What are the beliefs within the people? How do they feel? What, what, what is the objective? What's the through line? What's the checkpoint? It made me go, oh, there's a, there's a process to get to the power. That was Daniel Kaluuya and Fred Hampton Jr. Check out Judas and the Black Messiah on HBO Max. It's out today. Stay tuned. Up next, it's Relevant Recommends. Welcome to Relevant Recommends. It's our weekly look at the books, movies, albums, shows, and maybe even video games worth your time. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm the senior editor of Relevant. And this week, we're looking at A24's new drama, Minari. So immigrant stories have grown in popularity a lot over the last few years, probably because of the the social attention that's been paid to the issue in the press and in the political scene. Uh, You've probably seen other stories about the immigrant experience in America, but Minari still really stands out for a lot of reasons. Uh, 
Um, one is just kind of by virtue of shifting the focus from the sort of broad drama of coming to America to a much more minute uh, focus on the sort of mundane details of an American family of South Koreans living in the rural South here in the U.S. Minari's focus is very intimate, putting the Yi family under the microscope to chronicle the everyday lives of Jacob and Monica, played by Stephen Yun and Ha Ye Ri. Their son David is played by Alan S. Kim, and their daughter Anne is played by the very young Noelle Cho. Now, rural Arkansas here is portrayed lovingly, but also very unsparingly, just like the lives of the Chi family themselves. The movie feels so close and personal that it, you almost feel a little bit embarrassed to be watching it. It's like you're peeking in through the windows of a real family, which you kind of are in a way. The movie is loosely based on the real life of writer-director Lee Isaac Chung, and he brings a very tender eye to the proceedings that infuses even normal events with rapturous beauty and uh, the difficult times with enormous amounts of sorrow and drama. The stakes of this movie are low, pace is very gentle, but it's never boring. We, we become very immersed and deeply invested in the lives of this family's success, their survival, and their love. None of this would work without the terrific performances, and Yun in particular really shines as this young father struggling to maintain his own sense of identity while holding his family together and ensuring their survival. And, and none of those things feel like a given at any point point during this movie. Most people probably still know Stephen Young from his time on The Walking Dead, but he's since developed a reputation as a gifted actor in low-flying indie fare like Akja, uh, Sorry to Bother You, a Burning, really excellent movie, Burning. Uh, all of these showcase an enormous talent, but I, he's never been better than he is in Minari. The movie comes out today, uh, Friday, in virtual theaters and the A24 screening room, and will be available on demand on February 26th. If you like it and you want to hear more more about the movie, uh, keep your eyes on relevantmagazine.com. I got a conversation with director writer Lee Isaac Chung uh, coming up pretty soon here. We recommend this movie. You can read more relevant recommends at relevantmagazine.com. You're listening to her. The song is Fight For You. It's actually from the soundtrack of Judas and the Black Messiah. Look how that ties in. Lucky Good there. Songs. All right. So normally this is where we would have what's Jesse thinking. Uh, but we decided to give more time to the conversations earlier in the show. Kind of ran out of time to give what's Jesse thinking the justice that it deserves. Jesse, do you mind if we punt it to next week? I do not mind at all. Let's punt away. Let's punt away. <laughs> Sound like the Kansas City Chiefs. I was about to say that. I'm very, very. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, just call me Patrick Mahomes, Cameron. Oh, oh, away. Poor Patrick. Well, before we wrap things up, I uh, want to make sure that you all go check out the January, February issue of Relevant at relevantmagazine.com before it's gone. Uh, it features Pharrell on the cover and some other amazing content and it's all available for free just click on the magazine tab at the front page of relevantmagazine.com and there it is go check it out share it tell your friends you'll like it it's good also check out our new friday feature for, uh relevant recommends which tells you all the stuff we're into each week and you should sign up for our new 
newsletters. We have a daily email called Relevant Today that sends you the top five trending articles at Relevant every morning. And we also have our new devotional series called Deeper Walk. You can sign up for a deeper the Deeper Walk email, so it's delivered to your inbox every morning, or you can check out the new Deeper Walk post on relevantmagazine.com each morning. And guess what? We also launched a Deeper Walk podcast. I'll probably tell more about it on our next episode, but it's up now if you want to go check it out. Deeper Walk podcast, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. So much going on, and that's just the beginning. There's a lot more coming this year. On that note, wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Derek Miner. All right, we'll see you all on Tuesday. Have a good weekend, everyone. for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Check out our features, interviews, and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com. And make sure to follow Relevant on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest. For more great podcasts, browse the shows on The Relevant Podcast Network, which you can find at our site. And while you're there, don't miss the all-new era of Relevant Magazine. A new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com. Get the water balloons. Get them. Get them. Go. Relevant Podcast Network.